0: Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rooted and Unwavering Broadcasting live from Phoenix Business Radio X in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilke Faber, and this is the 21st episode, and I'm here today with Renee Smith, the CEO and founder of A Human Workplace. Renee, how are you today? I am terrific. Thank you, Hilke. It's so good to be with you. Same here. I feel quite moved to, to be with you, Renee. I'm going to say a bit more about you in a second, but one of the things I really enjoy and am moved by with you is that I see you as a person who's Who's put their heart and their feet in the same place. And I'll expand on that in a moment. And I have great admiration for that. Before we go and talk a bit more about Renee and, and hear from Renee, I want to say a bit more about this podcast series, just to contextualize and get us all together in in a similar intention. So we're do rooted and wavering to help us connect more deeply to what is true and to be aware that as human beings, we can pulled into different directions all the time uh, all the time and that we have a choice in that and that there's such a uh, beauty and such strength that comes online as leaders as teams as organizations when we get closer and closer and closer to what is true and be rooted from that place which is for everyone maybe slightly different maybe also somewhat similar so that's what this this work is about this week I sang in a a chorus performance and there's this Mm -hmm. once one little line that says we will rise we will rise Mm -hmm. and that little sentence has been in my head all week and i was thinking about that in preparation for this podcast like we will be rooted we are rooted and i know that each of us goes through challenges this week i went through my own challenges this week everybody has their challenges then how do we stay rooted in those moments so that's a little bit about this podcast. And now about Renee. Renee comes to us as the founder and CEO of A Human Workplace. Uh, and before that, uh, she was a part of the governor's office, in the governor's office in Washington state, uh, where she helped to direct workplace transformation for the state of Washington with a focus on creating a more loving, respectful inclusive and compassionate experience for state government teams. It's such a beautiful, beautiful charter. She also led the award-winning culture change work as director of organization development for the Department of Enterprise Services. Now, she didn't just start this organization. She's done a lot, a lot, a lot of primary research on analyzing stories of hundreds of people and learn from their experience of love and fear in the workplace. I love the audacity of calling that out in the workplace. Renee has spoken to hundreds of audiences in 10 countries, is a prolific blogger, published in several journals, journals, has been appearing on numerous podcasts, including this one now. Uh, She also has a Master of Science of Organization Development from Pepperdine University, and a Lean Six Sigma Belt from the University of Washington. Uh, she's a researcher, she's a writer, teacher, advises uh, people all over, and also uh, in the Pacific Northwest where she lives. And when you're not traveling, Renee, you enjoy sculling, which you have to explain to me what that means in the Puget Sound. You like drawing oil pastels. Maybe some of the things behind you, if you're, if people are looking at you, might be might be yours. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, concocting craft cocktails for friends, hosting grandma summer camp, and reindeer games for the, in the winter for her grandchildren. I'm just at your feet, Renee. So <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a background. So tell me about your journey of connectedness. Tell me about your journey mm-hmm. of connectedness. Mm-hmm. Where, what would you like to highlight first?
2: Gosh. So I, I think, you know, I am an introverted people person. I'm, and I think that there are a lot of introverts who are people. People, people, um, and I'm, that is certainly me. I um, I relish my quiet time. That sculling is is uh, rowing in single shells. I love to do that on the Puget Sound and have my own my own shell that I love to row in and spend time on the water. And and there's um, a lot of a lot that I gather from from being alone and in solitude and walking and being in nature and so on. And um, I just cherish and uh, thrive so much through. Being connected in meaningful relationships with uh, you know family and friends and colleagues and and really also with just people that I meet randomly you know um, those uh, random encounters with with strangers or uh, you know in, in in the passing of daily life that I think we missed so much during the pandemic um, I you know relish all of that so connectedness and being authentic and open and connected to people is part of who I am as a person and I would say that connectedness has come to have really profound meaning in my life as I have done this research on fear and on love in the workplace and interviewed people 75 primary interviews you know kind of formal one-on-one research based interviews and then it workshopped with hundreds and hundreds of people and have heard and collected you know those stories and have seen and understood from the impacts both of fear and disconnection and indifference and in contrast, Uh, love and safety and connection, how powerful and important it is that we're in the latter circumstance, just how much we need that as people. Um, And it's become really the focus of my life work to point people away from fear and disconnection and toward love and connection.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm imagining you being in the skull, now I know what that means, (laughs) Yeah. and on the Puget Sound Yes, in this space by yourself and and connecting more deeply.
2: Can you me say, and the sea lions, the seal or the sea lions would always follow. So not totally alone, but yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, of
1: course. Yes, yes, yes. So can you say a bit more about your own interview with yourself mm-hmm. about fear and love? I don't mm-hmm. know about you, but I have my own daily encounters with both friends. So, yes. can you say a bit more about yeah. your own conversation, your inner conversation right. with those two orientations?
2: Yeah, that whether it's whether it's walking, um, just walking, and you know, and, and being sort of in silence with my thoughts, or the I, I really um, love the rhythm of rowing, um, and the you know, this there's a so to kind of get in the physical space that will take me into the question. you know when you're rowing there's a sliding seat and there's a rhythm of the oars and the um you know a movement to it that it's very distinct and and very zen I would say I think of it as elegance and grace and power kind of all at the same time and it helps me to connect and be present in that rhythm to really what's going on and to be able to hear uh and notice the voices of uh, fear that are chattering away and um you know are giving me the litany of things that um, I need to worry about, or that that voice thinks I need to worry about. And you know, some of those are are real concerns. This this journey is not without like a lot of oh my gosh moments. <laughs> and um, also, though, the you know, in that rhythm of being on the water and and that movement and and the silence is the chance to remember and to sort of have those two parts converse. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, listening to the the voice of love and of confidence and peace and assurance that can come just reminding myself of what is also true um, of what I feel like is my joyful assignment and letting those two kind of come into conversation and into a sort of harmony. The the issues that might come up that might create fear that might feel threatening, you know, those don't necessarily just go away because I think about them and, and you know, I'm out there rowing. I mean, the things are still the things. The, right. the the challenges are still there, but the clarity and peace that can come from that recentering and remembering is uh, really keeps me going, and is so important.
1: Yeah, I'm just imagining you sitting in the with the rhythm, as you mentioned, Zen, and getting into that rhythm and having those thoughts pop up. And I love that you talked about the litany of of worries. And things, which I think is so recognizable for many of us. And then you talked about finding that place of love. And interestingly, you mentioned confidence. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about the relationship between love and confidence from your own experience and maybe also from what you've been hearing? Because that to mm-hmm. me is such a powerful connection. The
2: clarity that I've Found myself in over I think since 2015 really and even more so in 2017. So I sort of had this epiphany about love and fear in 2015 and then explored and explored and finally did the research and and got super clear and convicted. Um, and and some of that came from looking people in the eye again and again and hearing their stories and realizing both you know both the stories of harm from fear and toxic fear and the stories of benefit and joy and expansion um, and confidence and flow and, you know, goodness coming when people are in conditions of love and safety and just like being so clear about that um, and setting out on a path just to like um, to continue to say yes to these opportunities that would open up. It was like, I would say yes to a thing and step into that. And then a next opportunity, a next connection, a next open door, And with HDS, things just continue to expand. And so in that has been a sense of real confidence that this is like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, There is like the next provision each and every time. And I'm not really a religious person, but more of a spiritual person and having a sense of just connectedness to what the universe wants me to do, um, what I am here to do, what, uh, what is, what's my part to contribute. And so in that, um, that sense of being in the flow of love has given me a, a lot of confidence that even when things are uncertain and at times, you know, heartbreaking or, you know, challenging, like all of the different varieties of challenge that can come and they have that there is still this like deep confidence that it's all gonna be fine and I you know can continue to step forward. And and I see similarly when you know there's something neurophysiologically that happens to us. And I've definitely heard this, you know, in and have studied this in the research that I do, that as people are in conditions of love and safety and have a sense of care and acceptance and belonging, that they can relax, their shoulders drop and and they can kind of you know get comfortable in their seat and not be on guard and can you know engage the frontal lobe of their brain and you know and then their whole self, not just their thinking, but their feeling, their physiology, uh, and can tap into their whole wisdom as whole people and have confidence to bring that forward um, into whatever the opportunity is that they have. And, and it is a beautiful thing for individuals and for groups of people too, for teams or, or whole organizations or systems when we are in that condition incredibly powerful incredibly productive um incredibly beautiful
1: beautifully said beautifully said i am very curious about the epiphany in I think you said 2017 or so of like 15 yeah, 15 yeah, 15, yeah. 15 yeah. of love and fear sure. so this this discernment that presented itself and then in some way became related to what I heard you say was your is your joyful assignment. Yes. And so say a bit more about that, because I think that's such a a beautiful thing for us to hear about. Also, Mm -hmm. as we all reflect on our own lives and the epiphanies that we all have ourselves and how we listen, or maybe sometimes don't listen to those.
2: Sure. So in 2000, well, in in the sort of mid two thousands, I was working at the department of enterprise services. I was directing organization development and, uh, continuous improvement for that state agency and, and, you know, guiding culture change in our agency and partnering across state government for that. Well, I was having a conversation with the director of our agency, Chris Liu, and talking to him about the leadership required in that, you know, in, in that work that we were doing. And I asked him, Chris, what do you think is the most important job of a leader And it's one of those moments I'll never forget, like it's just riveted in my mind. He immediately replied to eliminate fear from the workplace. And that was just music to my ears. That was a beautiful answer. I love that as as someone trained in organization development and, and, you know, in line with my values, Um, it just was terrific to hear him frame it that way. It was so crystallizing Um, and it made sense uh, that it was something that I had seen him work to do in his own way and that he had encouraged us, his executive team to do. And as I started to think about that, though, it was kind of clear that it was only part of the story. It was only like half of the equation that if we have, you know, if we're dialing fear down, if we're trying to shrink fear, um, something else is, is growing. Something else is taking fierce place. And I really had to think about what that was and, you know, interrogated that for myself and, and, and talked to people and, and essentially I came to the conclusion that, and when we shrink fear, the thing that takes fear's place is love. The opposite of fear is love. That the two primary human experiences that we have in life are either fearful or loving. Um, all of the negative can be traced back essentially to fear. All of the positive, essentially, to love. And you know, with that clarity, for myself and kind of you know leaning into exploring that a little bit more, and um, I I got I got pretty. Sure about that for myself, if you will. Yes. And then I said that out loud in a really public place. I was in a a, a a huge conference, a state government conference, and we were in a breakout session with about 400 people in the room. That's how big the conference was. A breakout session had 400 people.
1: Wow. And, one and breakout we, session.
2: Yeah, one breakout session. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a conference of about 2,500 people, mm-hmm. and and so we were leading a breakout session of, of about 400, and was talking about that it's a leader's job to eliminate fear and I just sort of took the moment to say as he finished to say and when we eliminate fear the thing that takes first place is love and you know you can imagine that I think listeners will probably imagine what happened in that moment which is silence uncomfortable silence like did she really just say the l word mm. um and and there was just like this tension in the room and I made a joke I named it like got kind of quiet and but then you know, went on to explain that we love our work and we love the people we serve, and we um, we want to be loved. We and we love our, you know we love what we do and who we do it with. We like there is love there, and when we know that we belong and that we matter and that we can contribute, when we especially have an experience of feeling loved, we can do and be and give our very best. And no, there was spontaneous applause in the room that day. And for weeks later, people were stopping me across state government and saying, I was there when you said that. Keep saying that. (laughs) And so I, you know, not only discovered that, like, I, I had this clarity for myself about this truth, but I discovered that I had touched something that other people weren't repelled by or weren't like, you know, mm. shocked and and um, and um didn't shut down, but actually said we need more of that. Mm. And that was really catalyzing. Um, that let me know that I needed to lean in to understand this better and not only to read other research that's out there and other writing and so on and listen to what others were saying, but that I could, as a social scientist, I could do my own research. And so I uh, created a research project, as you alluded to, and Began to interview people, um, collecting stories of, you know, and I would ask people, tell me a story about a time when you felt afraid at work. What happened? What did you do? What did others do? What were the impacts and so on? And what did that experience mean to you? And then tell me a story about a time when you felt loved at work. Mm-hmm. What did you do? What did others do? What happened? What were the impacts? And and impacts on you and on your work and on your team and on your customer and on your personal life and on your physical well-being on mm-hmm. both fearful and loving circumstances. And then um, what did that mean to you? And those stories, like I say were really compelling and and uh, have been the foundation of everything that we do now.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. So say a bit more about then how do you practice in your own life and then maybe also how you help others to mm-hmm. reduce fear and to cultivate if I that's my word, but maybe not yeah. your word like the, to allow for love. Like I love that you that it came from that letting go of fear, and then there was love. I I yeah. I'd love to hear how you work with that yourself, mm-hmm. and and also how you help others with that, because I can imagine that each of us, like your interviewees, have associations with fear and with love, mm-hmm. and then in the moment when life happens, yeah, you know, that's a different story. It's often, right? So how t- t- tell us a bit about about that experience you have yourself with those yeah. transitions and how you you work with that
2: so you know the uh, the way that I think about what we're here to do essentially on this planet is that we're here to learn to love again or to rediscover how to love or maybe I mean depends on how you think about it I think I think that it's it's always been in us and it gets buried over and we have to kind of just re- uncover it um, and that is not just in our personal lives that is in meant to be in every facet of our life. And so that is really our primary work as humans. And oh, by the way, we do a whole lot of other things, but in the course of doing all those other things is the opportunity to learn to love. Um, For me personally, there's nothing like putting it all in, like I have thrown it all in, everything, all my worldly goods, all of my, my future, my career, it is all about this now. And there's nothing like that to like make one clear every day about sort of to be self-reflective and, and aware. And so, you know, on our team, um, we, and, and, um, you know, Rick Gage is part of our team, as you know, and and listeners may um, be familiar with Rick and and he has so beautifully um, put it this way that first we have to be it before we can share it or do it. And so we're, we're quite focused on how do we practice love, in our team, in our own, you know, interactions, in those moments that are really tough, you know, when we blow it, when we let someone down, when we say something that unintentionally harms someone and our impact is, is off. So for me, love comes in, you know, needing to face and like to be self-aware and face those times when I'm both, when I'm proud and doing well and, you know, in the flow and, and feeling it. And when I realize I've, you know, done harm or, misdebt and I need to repair. And and so there's like a being with the, you know, it's not really the weight of it. It's just the, I don't, I don't know quite what word to put to it, uh, but being with the truth of it mm. continually. Mm. um, And, and, and owning that, like having to just be with whatever that means. And sometimes, like I say, sometimes it's wonderful and, and flowy and feels great and you know is all the sort of warm, warm good things that people might feel. And sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes we have to, you know, share hard things with people or receive hard things ourselves. And learning continually to do that with love at the center is what I think what what my work is all about. And I think what we're essentially all here to do is people. The the as we work with organizations, you know, there's lots of different entry points. So organizations come, you know, hear about this and and everyone has their own lens that they're bringing to that, their own maybe longing or need. And so we meet people where they're at and understand what that entry point is and then help to, you know, everyone we work with always knows that this is what's um, at the foundation and that um, any, the way that we work with them is going to be with love at the center. And we want to help them move to put love at the center. And some people are ready to just like embrace that and others want to know that that's there and, and need to slowly move into that so um, always with gentleness and with mindfulness of where people are at in their journey
1: so I am going to take the the, the seat of the skeptic for a second because I know that those voices <laughs> exist in <laughs> us right and sure. they, and we sometimes meet them maybe also when we work with people I work with colleagues I can imagine a voice that says yeah love but What's that? What What is that? Because mm-hmm. isn't love that sort of gooey emotion and when I just realized that I failed, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. or I did something that wasn't, I hurt somebody, or mm-hmm. I just messed something up. Mm-hmm. What's the place of love in those situations? And what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Like, does that mean just... Uh, glossing over and it's like all good and we don't have to know. So what does that, what does that mean? Say more about that.
2: Yeah. Far from it. So um, Moshe Engelberg um, wrote a book called the Amari wave, which is also about love. And he, I love his definition of love. He defines love as the energy that uplifts and connects. Uh And so in those moments when we, you know, that you've just described that that whole variety of human experience is the need to uplift and connect, mm. and sometimes you know that uplifting is from a place of, you know, someone being downcast or uh, demoralized, and you know they need that kind of uplift. Sometimes the uplift is from someone who has you know wandered off or is not contributing their part, for example, yes. and needs yes. to be brought back and uplifted to a higher standard for themselves. Yes. Yes. Sometimes that uplift is the need for more courage sometimes that uplift is a challenge mm-hmm. so that uh, the uplift that and um, can take many different forms but it's the connection the c- that connected care for each other that allows us to be and bring that uplift the, the, all the varieties of the uplift that we
1: need mm-hmm. for each other in those moments. yeah I'll pause there. So. I, I love that definition that that right. love is about uplifting uplifting mm-hmm. really that connected care for each other. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful.
2: You know, I might, I might add if I could that um, the other thing that I think about is, so when I, when I ask people to tell me a story about a time when they felt loved at work, some people would answer and use the word love and tell a story. And other people would say, um, you know, I never thought about this as love before, but now that you mentioned it, I, you know, and they would tell me a story. And those would take the variety of examples of respect of trust, of kindness, or compassion, of um, appreciation and gratitude, of equity and justice sometimes, or of courage, um, that kind of thing, of challenge, as I said. So there was this whole you know, variety of ways that people had experiences. And, and when I would name love, they would say, oh, it was this, or it was this, or it was this. And basically, they provided the operating definition of love at work. And, and so it, it takes a lot of different forms. I I think that the, one of the important things, especially in terms of leadership that I've come to appreciate is just that, you know, we can't, that that the higher up you go in an organization, the greater your capacity for love has to be. So it can't be just loving the one person, you know, and and sort of that, that idea of, oh, this person, you know, I'll just let this happen. That permissiveness or lenience is not love. Um, It's, likely not love for that individual, but it's also not love for the whole. And we really have to, as we are, you know, in leadership, have to love the whole, the breadth and breadth and width and depth of, of mm-hmm. love for our whole organization and the entire system really that we're responsible for. And so that means you know hard questions, hard conversations sometimes. Um, but it, it but you know done with compassion, done with dignity and respect. And those are all you know ways that we
1: lead with love i want to explore a bit more about crucible that we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. and uh, we're almost going to go into a break but before we go into this break maybe talk a bit more about how do people access within themselves that sense of uplifting and Mm -hmm. not fall back into the the fearful state
2: I think it's a journey. Uh, There's so much in our world that um, conditions us toward fear, toward leading with fear and toward trying to motivate with fear. There's a lot of unlearning we have to do about that. Um, And so, and healing, frankly. And so I think it it takes time and it's a journey and it has to just begin with that grace and compassion continually to ourselves.
1: Well, let's take a a short break. And then Mm -hmm. afterwards, I'd love to explore more about how we unlearn what we mm-hmm. seem to have learned as a society about fear and maybe go into that a little bit more so that we can mm-hmm. be with that. And then also talk more about the power of grace and compassion, which you to me also exude, Renee. so I can see how that's okay. so, so important. We've been In this podcast, Ruth and Wavering, talking with Renee Smith, she's the founder and CEO of A Human Workplace. And she has taken a stance, given her whole life to this joyful assignment of helping to uplift through moving from fear to love, not only for herself, but also for the organization she leads and for the organization's teams and leaders that she guides from fear to love. We'll take a break now and we'll see you back after. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Rooted and Unwavering. We've had a conversation with Renee Smith. He is the founder and CEO of a Human Workplace the thing that I already will take away is this one little pesky phrase, Renee. <laughs> this sense of clarity, this sense of clarity and that you went for it. And it didn't seem to me like a Las Vegas kind of bet, but something that came from a much deeper place. So thank you for sharing that. That's very, very inspiring. So say to us a bit more about how we as humans have become acculturated to fear. Yeah,
2: if we think about all of the different places where we learn and are influenced in life from our earliest, you know, days, and whether it's in our family, from, you know, from parents, from teachers, from coaches, from, you know, within society and, and you know, different places in society, authorities in society, there's, there's a, a, a kind of a fear-based structure or a fear-based approach that is sort of rooted in, you know, in those um, interactions and, 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 you know, it's not that but there's some complexity to this. So I don't want to say that those are all wrong or that it's, um, I mean, I think that there's a lot to, to take apart there. And I don't claim to be an expert in, you know, early childhood raising, raised for kids, but for grown, for grown uh, adults now, for offspring would be a way to put it, <laughs> and nine grandchildren. Um, wow. But it's complicated, right? So I, I don't want to how do I put this? I guess I, what I just want to acknowledge is that in our early examples, fear is often there. and the early examples that we have of leaders in our lives um, often are guided by or you know motivate us with fear. We rarely or you know the, the examples that uh, we might take into adulthood um, into the workplace or into for those who end up being supervisors or managers or leaders, we have fewer examples to draw from that are love based mm. and i think we just have to acknowledge that as i think there's a bigger conversation about why that's so and what that should be and and, and you know whether that should shift or not like all of that is a different thing but if we just acknowledge that it, that is mm. then there is some relearning that needs to happen or some expanding of our model of how we interact with each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's also true that like in the last, you know, 10 years or so, it's become more commonly appreciated. um, and certainly during uh, COVID and the pandemic, how uh, we function as people in terms of fear and threat responses, in terms of stress, in terms of trauma, um, so we we know so much more in recent years, and it's more commonly known, you know, throughout society how we respond when we are threatened, when we have stress, when we experience a traumatic incident, and how we shut down, how we pull back, how we withdraw, yes. how we you know don't function as our best selves. Um, and and so you know, I think part of part of what we need to come to grips with is just what's true about how human beings uh, function and are motivated and and um, and can bring themselves at their best to any circumstance. So that's cognitive, right? That yeah. is, that is coming to know and appreciate that doesn't necessarily change our behavior, mm. especially in the moment. And I, I think it is a, it's a continual process of like relearning of committing to, of having uh, mentors and coaches and you know, like mutual commitment together to, you know, a different way of being and being able to hold the mirror up to each other. I certainly have that in my own organization, um, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, You know, people who can tell you the truth, um, who, you know, love you, who, you know, care, who, you know, have your best interests and the best interests of everyone else at heart and that context, that communal support toward a different way of being creates an environment where we can live into being different and not only just sort of learning and thinking differently, but actually then being different together, being more loving together. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I love the compassion in what you're describing. Like we don't even need to understand or maybe we don't understand fully why things are this way, but let's acknowledge that they are this way, that we do not have many examples As supervisors, managers, or leaders of leading with love. And that we have more examples of leading from a place of contraction, fear, and all that. And so just you saying that already, as I listen to you, Renee, I'm already like, of course, of course. And then that, as you're saying, already starts to elicit this sense of grace, compassion, expansion, and more possibilities. So I love that you are. Bring that to the fore in the way and the humility that you bring to that. I'm just curious because we mm-hmm. talked about skull. We talked about four grand, four children and nine, <laughs> nine grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, those are the
2: years, mine and ours, grandchildren, and we love them all. <laughs> oh, it's
1: beautiful, it's beautiful. So, tell me a little bit about your own life journey. As you've been traveling through all these different stages, right? And and I don't want to call you an elder, but maybe I will call you an elder simply because (laughs) of what you just said to me like, this person in skull with nine grandchildren, okay, Mm -hmm. could be seen as an elder, like from that perspective. Can you share with us a little bit about the stages? Because I know our listeners are all stages of life, and it's not about the metric, you know, you should be here, you should be there, but tell us a little bit more about your journey, because my sense is that. This insight and your ability to speak in that moment in that 400 person breakout group didn't just happen. It was grounded in work and life. So tell us about this. Yeah.
2: You know, um, I was as a young woman, as a high school student, you know, straight A student and student body president and a whole bunch of other things, off to college, you know, confident, happy, and, 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 um, kind of lost my way um, after your year of college, or actually it was after a couple of years, um, quit college, got married, um, and went off and followed my husband uh, in his dreams to Alaska, sort of gave up my dreams, started having a family, had a couple of children, and I was a homeschooling, bread baking mom, and probably a type A mom, <laughs> you know, did, did all the things, like whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it wholeheartedly, and you know, I sort of left a part of myself behind mm-hmm. and my dreams behind, and followed his dreams. And and but it was a good life. Like that was my choice, and and I loved my kids and loved my family, and we had a good community. And you know, that's what I was doing. I lived in uh, the Aleutian Islands in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, for four years, and then lived in Homer, Alaska, on the Kenai Peninsula for four years. And uh, after uh, the first year of living um, in uh, Homer. Um, My husband was flying an airplane, flying his private plane and uh, was in a plane crash, crashed his plane in the hills uh, kind of behind our home, sustained a traumatic brain injury and was never the same. He, you know, he lived, he was in a coma for three weeks in the hospital for a couple months. And then eventually I got to bring him home um, with he and our two kids. And, and at that point, you know, my, I felt like this is, this was, this is my, you know, this is what I've said yes to. This is, this is part of for better or for worse. And this is my husband and, and my family. And, and I need to, you know, live into this with the most love that I can and make the very best of the circumstance. And so we did and continued on in that relationship for eight years and um, had two more children and, and just tried to make life work. But eventually it became damaging. It became harmful and just wasn't sustainable anymore. And I felt released finally to step away. And at that point of stepping away, I hadn't completed college and I just like, didn't know what I was going to do, but I'm so grateful that um, my parents said, you know, we were going to help pay for college originally. We'll, we'll help you finish these two years. So I was so fortunate and privileged to um, have that support to to finish those last two years of college and and so you know earned my undergrad so I'm I was a single working mom with four kids at home and and completing college through those years. And you know there's this saying that um, we have and that I kind of adopted, you know, there's this idea we can do hard things. And I had this saying that I can do anything for two years. <laughs> and so there was like two years to finish college and then I decided I was going to go to grad school. And it was, you know, two years to go through grad school, and then it took another two years to kind of find my way in to the work that I wanted to do. That's been a little bit of my path of, and lo- I've loved taking different forms. So yes. there was what love looked like, you know, in that crisis moment during the plane crash and the aftermath of that, yes. and then and putting love at the center for my family and my husband, yes. and then there was putting love at the center in the decision to leave. Um, the marriage and, and move forward and kind of reclaim my life and my voice and my place in the world and and that was really about putting love at the center for my children for sure but of my own life yes. and valuing my own life and loving myself mm. um, and so you know all of that then you know kind of learning to um, be in the world in this new way and 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 overcoming this sense of regret that had I missed out like had I missed it had I, I you know, when I went to grad school, I was surrounded by, it was an executive style program. We, you know, were in residence um, once a quarter for um, two years. And I was surrounded by all of these accomplished people who'd been in industry and in government. And I, you know, I had not. And so I had to kind of come to terms with that and eventually come to see that all the experiences that I've just described gave me a deeper, like not a deeper, but a deep conviction and an ability to speak when the moment came in ways that I you know I probably wouldn't have or maybe wouldn't have been able to had I not been through those experiences. Mm. So it's all preparation, right? And 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 so now, you know, my work is all about helping people put love at the center of their work.
1: Yes. And, uh,
2: and so I feel like all of that prepared me for this, you know, for this experience and for what I'm
1: doing now. Yes, yes such clarity, such clarity with which you speak and with which you share that experience. I want to sort of play back the tape a little bit, roll back the tape a little bit, because it's like we're now sort of, my my sense talking with you right now is standing a little bit like like standing not on top of the mountain, maybe, but up on the mountain and looking back into the valley and all the ups and downs. And mm-hmm. it's like, a, sort of, there's a sense of like, oh, yeah, right. That makes sense. That was putting love at the center. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Right. <laughs> Didn't see it necessarily at the time, <laughs> right, right? right? Right, right, right. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how this orientation that is so deeply rooted in you of having love in the center. It's like crystal clear. It's like, Clearly, Renee is being love at the center. It's very obvious, right? It's very mm-hmm. obvious. So how did that get cultivated? What, what were some of the moments of, now that this is my language, awareness? <laughs> you may have a completely different language, but what, what happened along the way that you may you're able to make these choices? Because I heard you say, for example, mm-hmm. with the plane crash, that this is what I chose. So, say a bit more about how, on Earth, as a human being, do you do this?
2: Uh, gosh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I, I, I I'll reflect a little. I mean, there's just snapshots that I remember. I, so, a couple of things occur to me, and um, one is that I am a pretty positive person, and and have. I, you know, I have positive energy and I had a a strong foundation in my early years to draw from. Mm. And I think that that is not a small thing Mm. Um, for me. You know, it means that I can live. I've lived through these um, experiences with some sense of sort of groundedness and confidence and, uh, and healthy, you know, attachments to draw from healthy relationships. And that's been significant. I'm grateful for that it's kind of a strange thing. I think there's also a good, healthy amnesia <laughs> of like my ability. And I, I think I'll call it an ability to sometimes just forget and like, let go and keep going. Um, that serves me well. You know, it's funny. Yeah. I've got four children and, and, and they will sometimes remember, you know, recollect, Oh, remember when this happened, mom, or that happened. And they're kind of remembering when they might've been going off the rails a little bit, or, you know, there were those you know challenges in growing up or, silly things that happened uh, you know where they got in trouble or something and oftentimes i don't remember what they're talking about because i there is a i mean maybe vaguely but like there's a certain sense of like okay i just need to let that go and keep looking forward <laughs> because i can't do anything about that and um i don't know if that's healthy or not but but for me it's been effective to just sort of be able to re- there's you know remembering certain things but also just letting go and not like dwelling in um the the struggle or the pain or the frustration, but just continue with positivity looking forward yes. and assuming that the next, you know, the next right thing is going to happen. I think connected to my my work about love, it's also true that I've I've had this sense and have seen again and again where like the next, I, I said this a little earlier, a little differently, that the next door opens or the next person shows up. Mm or the next provision is made. So, you know, this is especially, you know, having, I left the governor's office just before um, the pandemic hit. I actually had this sense that I was supposed to leave and go into private work and take this message out into the world, not just for the state of Washington. And I gave notice in December of 2019. And I said, so I had this, you know, I was director of workplace transformation for the state, left my job said, March 2nd, 2020 is gonna be my last day of work. Yes. And by March 6th, it was clear I was not going to New Zealand or to Europe or to any of the places that were planned and I was staying in my living room. And by March 16th, we were live with a program called Working Alone Together. And um, we're supporting the community, um, a global community with uh, gatherings, uh, virtual gatherings to help process the pandemic that sense of where the next right thing is going to happen uh, that I don't, you know, I couldn't plan for that. I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic and it was, you know, setting my house ha- in motion to sell my house and sold property. Cause now my income is gone and the income I thought I was going to have was gone, but sold a piece of property that I, you know, had bought a couple of years previously that I lived on for the next year and a half um, and sold that in March of 2020. And so just like the next provision. And then I would also share because like as leaders, you know, just, it's not easy. I I then ended up like gathering a team, a team of people, you know, we have 30 affiliates in the U S and the UK now. And that team was gathering and growing. And we were like a team without a business model because the business model I thought I was going to do was gone. You know, was, it was, it was shelved at least. And I had to kind of figure out what next, but we had this team. And so I'm, cultivating and nurturing this team and pouring resources into maintaining this organization and growing and learning and building our business and got to the point where I expended all my funds. It was in December. Gosh, what was it? December of 21. I, I had a little sticky on my computer that said, tap into the 401k get your 401k, like drain the 401k was the sticky. And that day, that day, someone called and said, Renee, I believe in this work. We need to bring this into our organization. I want to do it in the first half of next year. Here's $25,000 toward that work. And that was the bridge. And, and into 2022, everything took off. <laughs> yes.
0: Um,
2: and, and, but, but it was like, you know, holding the space, holding on, holding on, because I'm, you know, watching it all drain and, you know, paying the bills and like holding on, holding on and closer and closer to the edge, right? Mm. And but yet believing, like trusting that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this. This is like, this is it. I've thrown it all in. And, uh, and the provision has been there. Such courage, kind of crazy boldness. Maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but here we are. And I'm, I'm, uh, I am so grateful. And um, so thankful that I get to do this, that one of the things that's true is that, uh, you know, when, when, when you say, my work is about love, people send you stuff about love. Love yeah. just pours in. Uh, and that's a, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, you know, side channel to all of this is that yes. I just, you know, the love pours in in all kinds of different forms. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about, uh, and this hour is almost over, which is hard to believe because I can realize that I, I, realize I can talk to you for hours. Uh, I hope <laughs> tell us tell us about 2020 and 2021. So because you talked about making like the provisions will be made or will mm-hmm. come. Like mm-hmm. uh you you know the next right thing, and you also felt the sense of at least you talked about and senses felt of like this is my this is mine to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is mine to do.
0: Yeah.
1: How do you stay in your seat, those in the seat of That purpose over those two years Mm -hmm. when the bridge was not there yet financially?
2: Yeah. So, so part of it was just that I've I've made the commitment, and 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 um, I like at this point, I cannot imagine doing anything else, even in those days when I wasn't quite clear, (laughs) you know, what how it was going to like what form it would take. It was trying to find the form, and and you know, frankly, too, just trying to find my way into uh, through some basic business. Um, things. Coming from government, I didn't have a lot of experience with marketing and sales. Like that's just not something we've done a different kind of, you know, thing in the work that I'd done. Um, so there was some learning to do. What occurs to me is part of this journey during that time was sort of, you know, focusing in on one thing and kind of forgetting everything else. It, and it was as if I like moved house and, and moved all my boxes into this new place, if you will, metaphorically, Mm -hmm. and put all of the stuff of my life and my career away in closets and under the bed and in the attic and in the garage and like hidden all these things away and only like kept out one box and we were just doing the one thing. And I kind of forgot about everything else. And and I think, you know, that those early days of the pandemic were a really strange time. And, you know, to just sort of our, for, for me, it was very focused and, and a little surreal. And so I actually, during, at the end of August, physically moved um, from, I'd sold my house and, and moved um, to a little place down by the water that I rented for a while. And in that move, the physical move came some unearthing and remembering. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I started thinking, wait a second, like I used to do some other things, right? Mm-hmm. I used to have some other things that were important to me and that some other things that were Like part of this, what were those things? Oh yeah, and I started remembering. Uh Remember, Uh in a sense, it was remembering who I was and remembering what this work was, you know, was about. And Uh I kind of metaphorically assembled all that stuff on a big table, and and then had to look at it for a while, Uh Uh and had to figure out how does this fit together now in conversation with others, and and you know, on my team, and 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 just being and. Um, exploring and listening to clients and what was needed, and and frankly, as that fear subsided, you know that that how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed myself? Fear, you know, that I mean it's real, and so I had to like work to um, assuage that, you know, and to trust and to be in that space of peace. And as I could be in that space of peace, could then see what those next possibilities were. And and reclaim my voice again the, the reclaiming a voice is a theme throughout my life mm. um and so it, this has been a time and, and that season was a time of sort of forgetting and then rediscovering and reclaiming and finding how to bring it forward again
1: thank you for sharing i'm imagining you being in this connectedness to peace mm-hmm. and purpose and staying with, and then allowing for that singular focus to be for a while with the right. one box. Right. And then some at some point there's there's openness that happens. Like, ah, mm-hmm. you could say that's almost like a provision from the mind that says, Oh, that there, that there, there, there's all this. Mm-hmm. And then allowing for it to come together. Yes. And staying with. And also, I really appreciate your honesty that fear of not being able to provide it was certainly there. Absolutely. It was just that you didn't let yourself be guided by it. Right. And you made a different choice. And that made all the difference, as the beautiful poem said somewhere. So as we're getting towards the end of this conversation, Renee, I'd like you to think about what would you like to say to people or to a person? That finding themselves kind of in this in between liminal space between fear and love, you know, they may be consumed or pulled by this fear of not enough, not enough money, not enough approval, not enough a, a job security, which is a big thing these days, mm-hmm. and or fear of something else, losing a relationship, whatever it might be, and and then the. Glimmering of the confidence of love that you've so clearly articulated in this conversation. Mm-hmm. What would you like to say to them, those people mm-hmm. in the liminal spaces?
0: Mm.
2: Well, their experience is real. I I would want to acknowledge that those experiences that are washing over people or moving through people are real, and not to be dismissed. To hold on, to lean in, to find and invite. That love to come in to find its way in because it's there for each of us. Um, and the choices that get us there are as, you know, as varied and different as our, you know, our life circumstances. So there's no like magic wand or formula about that, except the the, uh, the invitation to open to it, to ask it to come and to, to be looking for it. Um and to and I think to understand and appreciate the power that it can have. And that sometimes it shows up in really unexpected ways. I think back to when my husband was in the plane crash and we had bought a home and um, it had an unfinished mother-in-law's apartment in the basement that um, some folks, you know, helped us to finish. And, And during that time, there were, you know, a lot of people who, you know, if you've suffered that kind of a trauma or that kind of crisis What I've discovered is that the people that you think that will be there are not always the people who will be there for you. The sources of love that you would anticipate are not always the ones that are actually the sources of love, and that can be for a whole variety of reasons. You know, if we're only looking for that from one channel, it might not be from that channel. And you know, in this case, the, the the source of love to help finish that apartment so that we could rent that and have a source of income that was a that was a um, an unexpected source of love, um, and so those are there. Those are there, and I, I think part of you know this is learning to
1: invite and open to it. Thank you so much, Renee. We've been speaking to Renee Smith. She's the founder and CEO of Human Workplace. Helps people to create lives, workplaces, teams that are more human, more loving. Many things I took away from this conversation. One thing that just happened, that you just said, which was, I'm just open to it. Just open to it and let go of the attachment of what you think it should look like or what the, where the provision should come from. You never know, but you, you're just open to it. You're just open to it, which is such a radically different orientation than the fearful contraction, which is... Uh, tunnel focused on what we think should happen. So thank you so much. Any closing thing you want to say at the last few Mm -hmm. seconds that we have Mm -hmm. today?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, oftentimes people ask, is it really possible to get results and care for people? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if we think organizationally, is it really possible to, to do that? And I just always want to remind people that it's the wrong question And the question we should be asking ourselves is, how on earth are we going to get results if we don't care for each other?
1: How on earth are we gonna get results if we don't care for each other? Thank you so much, Renee. This was um, heart opening and so beautiful. You've been listening to Ruited and Wavering. We have these conversations every two weeks. You were with us today with Renee Smith. He's the CEO and founder of Human Workplace. In two weeks, we'll be here again with Robert Washington. He is a leader in Microsoft, also a martial arts master, and also a a U.S. Navy veteran. And we're going to hear from him about how do we access strength uh, in pretty extreme circumstances. And Renee also taught us about that today. Also, if you'd like to stay more involved in these conversations, you can subscribe to this podcast. Anywhere where you find podcasts like LinkedIn, uh, sorry Spotify, Apple, and of course there's replays on LinkedIn. You can find Renee Smith and Human Workplace on LinkedIn and on the World Wide Web and other places. And I look forward to seeing you again live if you choose to join us. Uh, and until then, please maybe sit with this practice of opening up to what love might look like today for you. For you and for all of us. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Rooted and Wavering. I'm your host, Hilko Fabris. See you next time.
0: Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network, and Hilka Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilka's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.